So after minor technical difficulties on both of our parts, it's return of the mark. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> we should have known it would have been just, you know, off without, you know, a hitch, just, you know, right out of the gate, just blazing. All the engines are firing. You know, pe people think like, oh, you both podcast regularly. Naturally, this is going to be like very easy and natural. No, never. Like, no, it's never, never easy. Although we both have the same microphone now. And uh, I have to say, I love these sure microphones that that I'm not being paid to promote right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so weird, you know, because the microphone's a microphone, right? But I feel like the audio quality has just gotten better. Uh, at least with, with, you know, my podcast, um, I'm not sure when you switched. Um, but I always feel like it's what I'm hearing, but like once you, you know, export it to, you know, whatever high quality MP3 or whatever, it, all that disappears. And I could have been just screaming into my laptop mic. I mean, it's, I think it, it's the fact that it's uh, directionally better. It picks up more stuff coming directly from where you're speaking from and less of the background stuff. So you're getting less of that just, uh, nonsense noise that neither of us are audio engineers so we're probably not good enough to uh clean up in a reasonable way and we do both definitely can't afford to hire someone to do it no absolutely not um i've gotten to the point where i can take out my breaths like when i inhale <laughs> but but i don't get them all uh but i feel like a real pro when i do that that is a baller move um i, I don't uh i'm gonna say care enough to do that i but or okay or i prefer to be more authentic mark like i want people to hear the flaws and everything i want people to know that i've been sick most of this week and that oh. when i randomly uh lean away like tay zonday singing chocolate rain uh to clear my throat or take a deep breath or cough pitifully that that's what's going on. And if my voice is extra sultry right now, that that's the reason not that I've taken up smoking. I say you have you have some extra Zach today. So a, I might I might need to you to re-record the promos. <laughs> extra reverb. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose the uh the idea of you know letting the audience know that you're breathing is not a bad thing, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, sometimes you know you're talking to someone on the podcast and I'll le I'll lean away and I'll I'll be over here and I'll take a drink and then I come back in. But like I think from an audio perspective, no one knows the difference because I'm not speaking during that time. But for the person that I'm speaking to, having not briefed them on what I'm doing, it might look a little weird. Yeah. Oh, that's so a lot easier life? for you being solo, right? Like, yeah. Oh, true. Totally. Um, you know, every now and then the the kiddo, uh, well, before she went to college, she would, she would jump in every once in a while. Uh, my youngest doesn't want to do that. We went and we went and saw cake and I was like, oh, you're going to come on the podcast and talk about cake. And she's like, no. <laughs> okay. So I, I mean, okay. like cake at this point is an oldies act. So like, how does that, how's that feel right now? Like being, being from your, your and my youth and like, oh, Hey, this is cutting edge. And now like I, uh, after you said you're going to cake, I checked out their social media and it's basically just like, it's like old man yelling at the wind. Like that's their social media. And I'm like, this is hilarious. Like you guys, you're like a rock act. And all it is, is like things used to cost less. You know, oh like yeah. Kind of a... Yeah. They are very much um, old man yelling at clouds, uh, but it was a great show and she really enjoyed it. She loved it. So 
I actually, I did check out Johnny Swim based on yours and her recommendation of the live show. So, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, I do I do pick up uh, new stuff from uh, from your pod, which I appreciate. Uh, if you don't listen to Mark's pod and you do listen to mine, Mark's songs that don't suck, uh, which might have a familiar voice uh, on it at some point. But yeah, it's like I I, I appreciate that that you do that because finding new music is difficult. And when I find something new, I usually get excited. Like my thing right now, which is also not new, um, but it's new to me is synth wave. Like I'm really into it. Like I just appreciate the fact that like we're taking back something from the eighties that for a while people decried as like, this is what was wrong with music. And it's like when Cher did uh, what life without love. And they're like, Hey, you know, this auto tune thing we use to like sort of clean up people's background vocals. What if we just turned it to 11 so you don't realize how terrible her voice is now? And it became this whole thing where it's like her voice is so electronic and weird. And that's what synth wave is to like just like 80s music. It's like we're going to pretend this is like the music of a cyberpunk future that never happened, but also have like wailing saxophones in it every now and then. I'm like, I'm down. Like, let's do this. You'll have to send me a couple of your favorite tracks because uh, I'm I'm morbidly curious at this point. Uh, but it's funny that you bring up Cher because I actually was ranting about that, gosh, months ago, uh, basically blaming her directly because that was like the first use of autotune. Um, and like, you know, the music industry just went downhill from there. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going to make the analogy I was about to because uh, it, it was too dark, but it's like Cher is responsible for T-Pain. Like w- if if we had if we had stopped Cher when we could have, we wouldn't have T-Pain now. Or we'd have a different version of T-Pain because the boy can sing. He put out a cover album. And he did a cover of Black Sabbath's War Pigs. I challenge you to like not listen to it and enjoy it because it's really good. That's that's wild. Like I I love the alternate history version of what could have been of things like um, what is it? Um, Mike Rowe does like Paul Harvey used to do that thing like and now, you know, the rest of the story. And Mike Rowe does his own version of that. He's got a podcast and where he'll like tell the story of somebody at the end, tell you who it is. And he did one for Bruno Mars and Bruno Mars early in his career was like the producers were pushing him to be like a Latin heartthrob Ricky Martin kind of guy. And it's like, that's not him. And he hated it. He's like, I like Michael Jackson. Like, I want to do that. So eventually he just said, screw it. I'm doing my own thing. And obviously now we know who Bruno Mars is. Right? Um, but yeah, it's like, imagine a different world where Bruno Mars was like doing like she bangs or something like that'd be awful (laughs) but yeah there's a lot of artists like that who you know they they were trying to push them one way and then they completely were like no that's not true to who i am and bless them for like standing on their own morals and being like i'm not going to be a shill you know either i'm going to make it on my own talents or i'm not i'm going to be broke damn it like i'm not i'm not going to do i'm not going to do the man's thing like I, I am going to be poor and commercially unviable or, or maybe you get lucky. Yeah. And that's all it is, is luck. So this ties directly. Okay. So you were asking how I've been. So the reason I'm sick is because last week. So um, the last episode everyone heard was Dennis cow. I recorded that before we took a family trip to Disney world, which uh, was mostly for everyone except me. 
So we were there with the extended family. Um, So all of them are like either Disney adults or children. And then there's me. And it's like, they're like, why don't you like, don't you love this? I'm like, I mean, I don't really have like a relationship with Cinderella. Like I look, I appreciate the work and craftsmanship that goes into all of this. Um, uh, It's really cool. Some of the new rides are actually great, which is something because previously Disney's rides were just there. Mm -hmm. Um, You could say it looked cool, but it's like you could go to any Six Flags and the rides were like actually more exciting. Now they've actually got some actual like exciting rides. Um, But having said that, like it was 90 degrees still in October in Orlando and I was unprepared for that. And everyone was still coughing and it was at maximum capacity. So there's the day I was in the Magic Kingdom and uh, apparently, okay, so between all four parks, not counting uh, the water parks, um, I think their their total capacity is over 300,000 with the Magic Kingdom alone uh, holding 120,000 people. So I was there with 120,000 people and half of them are coughing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get sick. And like I made it all the way through the trip. And I'm like, I think I dodged it. And we got home Saturday night and Sunday morning. I wake up. I'm like, I'm sick. I'm like, oh, come on. Um, but I was thinking about this as it ties into music, because one of these signature attractions are former signature attractions of Hollywood Studios. Because Hollywood Studios is their theme park that was built mostly off of like avarice. So mm-hmm. like Michael Eisner saw Orlando stu- like or like uh, Universal Studios in Orlando. And it's like, <laughs> we should do that. And like they just he like made his own version. Um, and it didn't really have like an identity for the longest time. And now it's just Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but, but like the rock and roller coaster starring Aerosmith. It was like the most exciting ride in that park, but it's been there for like 20 plus years now. And also to the point where everyone in Aerosmith is very elderly. And I doubt anyone under 35 has much of a relationship with Aerosmith as music act. So I was going to say, Mark, you've been tasked with rebranding the rock and roller coaster. Oh. To Uh, a relevant, (laughs) I mean, Taylor Swift's off the table because yeah. one, you can't afford her. Two, when eventually she turns on the brand, the Swifties will burn the park to the ground. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like it's great when she's like into you, but as soon as she's off of you, like it's over fiercely. Travis Kelsey jerseys are there's gonna be like tens of thousands of them. Yes. Um my first instinct, and even they are kind of long in the tooth at this point but my first instinct was foo fighters yeah i mean look truly amazing rock act obviously like dave Grohl alone like in two of the most seminal rock bands ever um but yeah long in the tooth it's like my thought was and it's like i have to acknowledge i'm a 42 year old here who doesn't listen to a ton of new music i'm like i'm like it has to be broadly commercially viable it has to be new enough that it can stay around. It's like casting James Bond. You know, everyone's like, oh, cast Idris Elba. I'm like, Idris Elba's like 55. Yeah. Like, you don't cast him because he might be awesome for two movies. And then you're starting to feel like older Connery. Like, you, you need someone that can be around for at least 10 years. So to my chagrin, I think it either has to be um, Maroon 5 or Imagine Dragons. Uh, and look, I see you cringing. Uh, I see you cringing. No, and I'm not saying this because I'm a fan. Like, I, look, I'd rather chew my arm off than go on a, a 45 second roller coaster playing Adam Levine songs. Oh. But I recognize the mass appeal. I mean, if you want to install it at Guantanamo Bay, go for it. 
It's as hot there. But uh, Maroon, when was the last time Maroon 5 had a hit? I don't think it matters. It does. It, it totally matters. Okay. When's um, the last same... time Aerosmith had a hit? Uh, no, but th- they could they could still play the Super Bowl today and most people would like get it. Um yeah, oh god, now imagine dragons would be awful too. And I, I I still don't know how to pronounce their name right because I don't know if it's imagine dragons. Imagine dragons. Imagine dragons. Yeah. You no, need some I, punctuation to help you. Yeah. Yeah, punctuation saves lives. Let's eat grandma. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I don't see that's the thing that and it's one of the things that I I probably talk about way too much on the podcast is like who is the next Foo Fighters? Like Foo Fighters have been doing it for 20 plus years, 30 years at this point. You know, who is the next band or artist that has that staying power? And and we joke about Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift is probably it. Um, but I think you're right that you run the risk of of having Swifties burn the park down if something goes sideways. And I'm okay, like I'm gonna risk Swifties like coming for me now and Brittany Rose now, former colleague, maybe not friend after this. Um, I know she loves Taylor Swift, but in my opinion, like this is my opinion, Taylor Swift's popularity and reputation outweighs maybe her actual talent. Oh, no, 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 no. So I, I am a, I am a Taylor Swift fan. I will not classify myself as a Swifty, but I, I mean, I've to... seen her in person. I've seen her in person twice. I saw her on the 1989 tour and I saw her on the Eras tour um, and she's fantastic. So you're and... totally broke now. I am totally broke, but I will say that unlike other artists, she will actually take a moment during her show and, and play completely by herself, either actually guitar and piano. She does both. And, and you can tell that like, there's no lip sync. There's no, like it is her and she holds 70,000 people in the palm of her hand. Like you can't do that without talent, but I will say, I feel like her fan base is getting a little toxic. Um, because it's it's almost like she's become Jesus. And I'm going to get real controversial here because, you know, Jesus as a person is great. The followers are the ones who scare me. And like I'm watching social media and them talking about, you know, Taylor and Travis Kelsey. And like they're like, oh, you know, her makeup is worn off her nose and it's on Travis's nose. So they've been kissing. And, and I'm just like, will you t- just let them have a relationship? Just it's leave them alone. Oh, yeah, I it, think it's it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's not to say I don't think she's talented. It's like at some point she sort of supplanted Beyonce as like perfection. Like there was a time when people treated Beyonce as like untouchable. And I think Taylor Swift has moved into that position. Oh, and I absolutely. think I always cringe at anyone that reaches that level um, because because I don't like things that are sort of beyond critique. Um, I, I, I think mostly it's just she's not for me. And that's totally fine. I like obviously there are a lot of her songs that are really like memorable and iconic. And I heard them a thousand times. And I would take my kids to the Children's Museum and they would dance along with them on the green screen. But I think it's like, yeah, I think for me, it might be that the fan response and not like the typical fan, but like the weird parasocial fan where it's like, you know, they're they're like tweeting about, you know, the era's tour movie and like guys, Taylor told us to treat this like it was a concert, like when they bring their signs to the movie theater. And it's like, but it's not a concert. You're at a movie theater on a Tuesday at seven o'clock. Yeah, but I've seen the videos and it's very close to what the concert experience was. And I'm sitting here realizing that for our own safety, we might have to edit this whole section out. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, if I, yeah, we can put this on your Patreon. <laughs> this, this is good. Like, how did Zach die? It's like Swifties. Funny story. <laughs> and let me tell you something about BTS, Mark. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's. But, I think that's. Um, and I think uh, it's a really valid point. Like, what would you replace on the rock and roller coaster? And I think, like, when I think of you know, sort of uh, culture and like entertainment. It's become heavily fragmented beyond where it would have been uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, back when there were more limited channels for stuff to become available. Like right now there's like SoundCloud rappers that have a million fans that you'll never hear of in your entire life. Uh, yeah, and that's, yeah, it's, that, it's so true um, because you don't have, and granted you look at it from the flip side like okay we used to have like a single channel right radio and whatever the radio gods pushed to you that's what you had to like because there was no other way to discover music unless you were in your local record store and the guy behind the counter knew what your tastes were and be like oh hey go check out this band um so that's that's not good but now there's you know i i was reading I forget where, where it was. It was probably Pitchfork or something like that. Apparently, 100,000 songs a day, a day are released to streaming platforms in one or the other or multiples. How are you supposed to, A, find an audience, B, maintain an audience, and C, kind of grow to the scale that a Taylor Swift has or an Aerosmith did back in the day? Like, it's it's a impossible task and what you're seeing is a lot of the labels now are really just going for virility so it's like who can we make viral for this week we'll make a bunch of money off of them and we're going to move on to the next one and occasionally one of those viral ones will have a second or third but the the investment in artists and development i don't think it's there anymore not not in the way it used to be I think that makes a lot of sense, though. Um, <clears throat> I think, like, if you think about, like, the current state of also sort of relationships between artists and people online, like, having a social media presence at all, like, the the uh, the concept of cancellation, like, if we were to talk about Led Zeppelin, <laughs> like, most of the members of Led Zeppelin should be in jail um, for things that they've done in their biographies. Actually, most of the '70s artists should be in jail. Probably, I, I would, I would pr make a safe bet that most of the artists who you would classify as classic rock, probably some transgression at some point, they all belong in jail or at least on a registry. I, I don't disagree, but it's the the concept of cancellation now, where um, you know, not even having like any sort of like actual. Like, like you're not going to go to jail for this thing that you said, but you've become so radioactive that, you know, your label won't talk to you. Like you, you just like been cut off like uh, Jonathan Majors, you know, playing Kang in the Avengers movies. That's the only thing he still exists in. Like he yeah. disappeared as a person. Um, And this is without even like a, a trial happening yet. So we don't actually know like how real anything is. But we do know that he became so radioactive. And that makes sense if you're one of these agencies and you're trying to represent people. You don't want to throw millions of dollars behind like one group knowing that you could have a situation like that where all of a sudden your entire investment goes up in flames. 
So they're sort of seeding things here and there, trying to make quick hits. It's like the Blumhouse model of horror movies, where we're going to fund $53 million movies and hope four of them hit big instead of like one $200 million movie and hope it hits big, you know? And it's yeah. kind of a bummer, but it's like, it's also kind of cool because you're going to get a lot more variety of stuff out there, but it's really hard to ever find anything or to be found. It, it, 100%. I mean, I, you know, I, I always, in the podcast, I always talk about like, yeah, I listen to anywhere from two to 500 songs each week, depending on what I'm doing. And when you think about 700,000 songs a week being released, like statistically, like I'm not even scratching the surface. Like I might as well not even open the app. It's statistically irrelevant. And the fact that I can find five songs that I like each week on a good week is crazy. But I found some good ones, though. You you have. And you've reintroduced me to artists that I had given up on. Like you brought me back to Smashing Pumpkins. And I'm like, I like them now than I did in the 90s. Like their new album was great. Um, You also made me think, what was I going to say? Um, in terms of, you know, the gatekeepers, you know, you're talking about like radio back in the day, you had to, uh, get the DJs on your side, oftentimes with going back to the seventies, dropping off like bags of money and or cocaine. In this yeah. case, it's now Spotify. Spotify is the new gatekeeper <laughs> and Drake and Taylor Swift, whenever they release an album, both of their songs occupy every single thing on the top 10 list. And that is the biggest bummer on earth. Like you, it's like it's like when the New England Patriots were like a shoe in for the Super Bowl every year. It's just not fun. Like you want to see like different people in the mix. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it it's you're right, and there's no payola involved. But now it's all algorithms. You know, it's like you know she's got like a billion streams a day or whatever. So yeah, you know if that's going to bring in subscribers, they want to make money. So yeah, we're going to feed that to people. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you have a favorite album ever? Like if you could put your finger on it, like this is like, I love every single song in this album. Like this is my go-to. Normally I would him and haw about this because it's such a difficult question to ask, but I think I've actually figured out what my favorite album is because there will be times where I don't know what I want to listen to, but I want to listen to music and I just want to relax. The album that I always reach for is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. It's a good one. And the reason I do is because it is cohesive. There's no break in between any of the tracks. It's basically just this one long piece of music. Um, and I, I like literally the reason I realized this was Roger Waters just put out his redux of dark side of the moon where he's completely redone the album and kind of reimagined some things and all the pink floyd fans are just pooping on it from on high just like you know this is garbage why'd you do this you've ruined a classic and i don't know if it's my age or um the mindset i'm in now or um some some other friends of mine here in Cleveland, actually I've never met them, but they do a podcast called rock and roll autopsy. And, um, they reviewed the album and they reviewed it before I actually listened to it. And their review of it actually helped me put it in context for what it is. And I've actually found myself listening to that. I like, I'll listen to that and then I'll listen to the original. And I kind of, I like the juxtaposition of the two. Um, so yeah, there you go. 
That's actually, I, I, I assumed it was because you constantly had Wizard of Oz playing in the background and you needed something to accompany the visuals. Um, but that's also a good reason. You know, I, I, I should try that. I think for me, uh, my favorite um, is more contemporary, uh, but it's Brothers by the Black Keys. Um, mm. That is to me, like I can put that on anytime. And it's like, I, I love it's it's sort of grindy and gritty. It's it responds really well on big speakers. Uh, and yeah, it's like it plays well, uh, plays well and fills the room. And I really uh, appreciate that. I, I like I like a small band, you know, I appreciate the wall of sound, but I, I also appreciate sort of like the minimalism. Yeah, but even the Black Keys have added now, like it used to be just the two of them. But, you know, you go see them live and it's like a six piece band now. For sure. Um yeah, so I, we haven't I talked any data yet. No, we so. haven't. No, <laughs> it's just no music plus love today. <laughs> it's like sorry, like if if you were listening for the data, like it, obviously is a podcast with two data guys that are only going to talk about music. Um, my favorite music podcast of all time, and sorry to undercut you here, like it's not you, um, is Beyond Yacht Rock, which is defunct. Oh. So you're my favorite present music Current, podcast. Yeah. But but beyond be Yacht Rock, I appreciate it because it's insane. Yes. Like the the central premise of it is I th the four to six guys that are on it, I'm always hazy at the number of them. Um claim to have invented the phrase Yacht Rock in the early 2000s on their website. Um and every episode of Beyond Yacht Rock is them defining a new music genre off of songs that already exist. My favorite one and you probably know exactly the one I'm going to name, but it was the divorce core episode. Divorce core. Yes. It's, it's the, it's, it's, they describe like going to visit dad's new apartment after he's moved out and mom's now living with Gary and he's got this shiny new CD player. And, and it's like, he's got the, these CDs that, and they all have like million dollar tracks on them. Like the, this oh. is slick production. And it's like a lot of Phil Collins, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> and a lot of, a lot of, you know, hoping to find love again. And, you know, I'm a strong man. Like It's, it's fantastic. Like they, they, so many of their, their genres, like just left me rolling. There's one episode just called Oh Sherry. Where 10 times in a row, they play Oh Sherry by Steve Perry, which, first of all, I love saying that. But second, I realized while I was listening to this, like I started to feel funny and my mouth started to feel dry. Like I was having a psychosomatic reaction listening to Oh Sherry. And I'm like, why is this? And I realized up until that point in my life, I had never heard that song outside of my dentist's office. <laughs> <laughs> my dentist, whose name is Sherry, coincidentally, that is a pure coincidence. Every single time I'd go there, she's playing like uh, whatever the river. It's like it's a radio station that's been playing since I started going there in the late 80s as a child. And that song has been part of their set for more than three decades to the point where when I am there for an hour, it gets played every time. Yeah. It's an awesome song, but... <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I can close my eyes and I can see the video from MTV. Like, you know, Steve Perry is an icon, um, but that is hilarious that the, the only place you hear it is in the dentist's office. Yeah, it's 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 funny how, like, you know, you can have like certain emotional responses to things that remember where you were at this time. 
And for me, oh, oh yeah. Sherry is my dentist office song. Now there's a there's an episode if it ever comes back, dentist core. Like, what do you hear in the dentist's office? Because yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I, I had this conversation with my dentist a few months ago and uh, I was like, I, the music is insufferable, man. You're killing me with this. He's like, yeah, we tried to do something a little more edgy, but the old people complained. <laughs> and like edgy was the Sirius XM spectrum channel. And I'm like, that's not edgy. I I got to tell you this. So before we diverge from music, which we may not ever, apparently, um, I've got a funny story growing up. So being a kid of the early 90s, um, you know, middle schooler, alternative rock was the thing. Alternative, which we were convinced wasn't rock music, and it's just a subset of rock music. But um, I remember Green Day was really popular at my middle school. So I remember one day I was out with some friends and we're going to a movie, and I was like, I got to get that Green Day CD. It's so cool. Like, everyone's talking about it. It's so cool. So I get the Green Day CD. It's Dookie, the one with, like, the really cool hand-drawn art in the front and everything. And I remember, I think it was, like, less than two days later, like, I had like a nice uh, CD player in my room and everything. And like, I'm playing it. I, I don't listen to like, I'm half checked out. Like I'm a kid, I'm doing my various things. And like, I'm in the bathroom, like brushing my teeth and my dad comes in. It's like, what is this? And he makes me take the, the CD and the jewel case out to the garage and smash it with a hammer. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. But here's the best part. Okay. My dad doesn't want me listening to, obviously there's profanity and stuff in it, but really, they're, they're objecting to it because they said dookie is a term for drugs. I'm like, no, it's not. Um, but here's what you need to listen to. And he he um we go on like Columbia House CD Club and he pay he helps me pay for it. And he get hooks me up with a bunch of 60s rock. <laughs> so like I'm getting cream like, you know, I'm, I'm like, first of all, Eric Clapton's amazing. Like, no, no, no regrets here. Like the music was all awesome. But it's like you do realize you tried to steer me away from what you saw as drug culture and steered me towards the hardest drug culture. Yes. The man sang cocaine. Like, yeah, I mean, like, it's one of the best songs. I, I like White Room better. But, you know, it's like, but seriously, like, you know, like, huge miss here. Like, I understand you found this objectionable, but like, th this was this was a swing and a miss. Like, fortunately, never did drugs no desire but like uh yeah it's uh, the, the 60s music not less druggy than early 90s yeah no not even close <laughs> <laughs> that's magical i'll say if my parents had any idea of the stuff that i was listening to because i just knew like stuff that that was only in the headphones you know like i had uh um oh my gosh new uh two live crew and nwa too short like all the the west coast rap and and you know florida uh which was just filthy and disgusting and then like you know iron maiden i'd play with, on my speakers in my room because that was safe like they didn't think of it as devil music so i was fine it's it's also passe now though yeah it really is i mean it's like stranger things took metallica and made it cuddly you know, it's like uh, so so many things that were once perceived as very edgy are now like very safe and like incredibly commercial. Stranger Things itself, the like, first season of that show felt very like it felt uncomfortable. It felt scary. It felt edgy. And then by the time you get to like season three, they're singing the song from like never any. Like, yeah, season two, really. But, I mean, it's like it got super cartoony and they toned it down a lot. And it's like I get that they saw that it was a huge commercial hit and wanted to expand that commercial viability. But the first season, it felt very much like 
you take uh, you take a dash of Stephen King, you take a dash of Spielberg and you come up with this thing. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah. For me, they should have stopped after season one. Like I watched season two, I partially watched season three and then I completely checked out. The first premise was so good. And it's like, you don't reproduce that. You don't like, it's not the Friday, the 13th, uh, you know, method, you know, it's just, you gotta, ha- you, you hit it, you made a ton of money off of it and just be done. But nope. Season four is it. Friday the 13th. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the villain is literally like a Freddy Krueger esque character, even to the point where it's got like extra long oh, fingers no. and they stretch um, that season for all it's worth. I mean, it's like, Stranger Things is, you know, you take something that's good and it's like you re- you realize that it's commercially viable and you're continually stretching. And it's like by the time they got to season four, they stretched season four so far that they created like a two and a half hour movie finale at the end of it. And it's like the that finale is stretched so thin. It's like uh, now we've d- diverged from music into uh, pop horror, but like the it movies that they made a few years ago, oh, yeah. things it, which it is a bloated book, but they made bloated movies where in the second movie, they're just rehashing so many of the same things and diverging from where in the first movie, the kids are encountering fears that are directly linked to them as a character and their immediate fears. And the second one's like, boo, spooky, haunted house. We need a two hour runtime. Hmm. Yeah, all that energy that could have gone to make Game of Thrones season eight actually viable. <laughs> all all those lights that they could have used to light light the most iconic battle scene that I you know I okay I've never watched Game of Thrones honestly and I I was like yeah I was waiting to see how it ended to see if it was worth watching because everyone's like it's so good and then like expectations kind of wavered and then like the last season was apparently so abysmal but yeah one of the big things was they've built up to this big battle that's like the be all end all. And you can't see anything. And their explanation is, well, you wouldn't be able to. And it's like, but you're making a movie like yeah. this is a TV show. You had has to like like it's like when Christopher Nolan's like, well, you wouldn't really be able to understand what they're saying. But, like, but you're making a movie. It is my biggest pet peeve right now when I watch anything like Ahsoka on Disney Plus. Like, I'm like, why is it so dark? Like. I'm watching it in my living room. I've got all the lights turned up. I've got the contrast on Max on the TV. I'm just like, I want to see what's happening. And it's just, uh, but yeah, like it seems like every show that is coming out, it's like, we need to save money in the budget somehow. How can we do it? Lighting. We don't need lighting. Wild. I think for me, like I've burned out on Star Wars and Star Wars goes back to what you were talking about with Roger Waters and the remaster of Dark Side of the Moon. Um, so this is diver- I, like we're all over the place today. We're probably never going to hit data. It's fine. Um, but like people complained about when George Lucas kept re-editing Star Wars movies, right? Like he went back and he added digital effects, which now look terrible um, mm-hmm. because early digital effects look bad. Like they're overly smooth. They don't look right. Um, but it's uh, I'm listening to an audiobook because I would never read this because it's like 20 hours long. And it's like essentially the behind the scenes of the first six Star Wars movies, you know, the ones that George Lucas made. And I'm I'm halfway through the first movie and they haven't even started filming because he did four drafts before he ever started filming. The first one was incomprehensible. Everyone said so, except for Francis Ford Coppola, who said it sounded interesting. The second version was literally just Kurosawa's like Secret Kingdom or Forbidden Kingdom. He yeah. literally just took the script of that and changed the names of everything. 
Oh my God. And that's what he got the budget to create the movie on. And then he started writing the third draft. Like he, as a filmmaker, had never made more than $16,000 making movies until American Graffiti hit. And then he became a millionaire overnight. Like up until that point, none of his projects had paid much of anything. His wife had supplemented their income. And he could have actually bought the rights from Kurosawa and filmed on that draft. But he's like, no, like I got to go back and keep going. So I was thinking about this. As much as people cringe at George Lucas coming back and changing these movies after the fact, he never stopped changing these movies. And it's very clear from the first four drafts of the Star Wars script, they say this at the very beginning before they even make it through these, like when the first Star Wars film came out, which we now call episode four, but it was just the first Star Wars at the time, um, Darth Vader wasn't Luke's father. Like it, that was never right. in the cards. Like he no. came up with that later. And also, you know, he authorized the production of the book Splinters of a Mind's Eye where Luke and Leia hook up afterwards. So you would not have done that if you knew Darth Vader was Luke's father um, because you're going to have to walk that back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I will say, I don't know. I I think there's just a soft spot, soft spot for, for Star Wars for me. I have enjoyed kind of the expanded universe and, you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, the book of Mandalore uh, or the Mandalorian, sorry, uh, book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, Endor. Like I've enjoyed or Andor, um, I've enjoyed them kind of filling in the holes because they've started to stitch some of that canon together where it actually it starts to make a more congruent line. And I have, I can appreciate that, but I will say like, I remember, I think it was when Phantom Menace came out, I set myself up for, for success. Cause when I went to the theater, I, I set my expectations so low. I was like, I'm just going to spend, I think it was $8 at the time to go see this movie and whatever it is, it is. And I walked out and I was happy. I was like, Hey, that was good. And I've approached every Star Wars thing since then with that same kind of like just approach. And I'm just like, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to do is I'm always going to keep my expectations low and I will never be disappointed. I think that's a good approach. I think like everyone in anything that gets sufficiently big, like Marvel or Star Wars or anything, at a certain point, people have to make choices as to what they consider part of their interest sphere. Like yeah. there's some people that are just going to love it all like. I like thing. So like any more of thing is great. And I kind of envy that, but I can never be that person. So it's like, for me, I, I like the Mandalorian quite a bit for the first season. Season two was sketchy to me and I still haven't gotten a third. Um, I watched Andor at Britney's insistence. She told me it was spectacular. I had no interest in it because I personally uh, thought that Rogue One was a mess because it seemed to me like a different movie than was sold in the trailers which kind of mm -hmm. turned out to be true because they fired like the director and recut stuff. Like. <laughs> um, but like Andor was great. Like it was a, a really different kind of show and it's, it's cool to see star Wars do different thing other than giant super weapon. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's really true. Like uh, it's all about your expectations and what you're looking for. And I know for me, I was that nerdy kid in middle school that was reading star Wars expanded universe novels. So like, I've, I've been on board with that stuff from the beginning. It's just more of like finding the 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 flavor that's right for you out of everything. And ironically, um, having been to Disney World last week, out of all the new rides that I went on, uh, many of which are pretty intense, the only one that made me nauseous was Smuggler's Run, the Millennium Falcon ride. Really? 
Yeah. It's so it's also unique in that it's a motion sim. So it's six people in the Millennium Falcon cockpit, uh, but it's a motion sim controlled by the people inside of it. Um, and my mother-in-law was the one controlling up and down. Um, and she struggled with, you know, it's, it's a yoke. It's like, so they have two people controlling the direction, which is a big mistake in the first place. So they have one person doing left or right and one person doing up or down. So those people have to work in unison in the first place. It's, you know how, if you're driving the car, you never get motion sick. The passenger does. Right. Everyone is innately a passenger on this ride because no one is in full control of it. And she oh. regularly throughout this would get confused whether forward was down or back was down. Um, and yeah, it's like I came out of it. And I'm like, I feel sick. And my wife didn't ride at the same time. She rode in a separate batch. She came out like I like she's like, I'm so sick. I have to take a Zofram right now. So like. That tells me it wasn't just my mother-in-law's driving uh, that that did it, but it's yeah. My wife also rode Tron, which uh, I'll have to share the picture with you. You didn't see it on my Twitter, but I she rode it, it with my niece, and we saw the picture two days after she rode it. We didn't realize the photo pass had captured a picture. Um, she was describing the ride. She's like, "I felt like my soul left my body," and I'm like, "I I loved it." Like my pictures, like I'm like, yeah. it's like she looks like like her face is being stretched back, and then we saw the picture. And everyone died laughing because it was exactly the expression that she described having experienced. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I say I have not been to Disney in a while, um, like since they put all the, the Star Wars stuff up. So one of these days I'll have to do that. Um, but well, I don't know when that'll be. <laughs> you know what? Like when you hit the Powerball, because it's it's so prohibitively expensive. For real. Um, but hey. I can bring this back to data. Do it. Okay. So um, Sean Miller and I were talking because um, he does data plus music, right? Uh, at the end of this year, like at the end of season one of songs that don't suck, um, I'm going to pull the Spotify data for all of the songs that I found. And we're going to put that out as, I don't know if it's going to be the end of December or like in January as a little uh, data plus music project. So that'll be a fun thing for the community to do as, as makeover Monday is sunsetting. I don't know if that's, I mean, Andy's trying to find somebody to take it over, but who knows what, what's going to happen there. Who knows? Um, but at the very least, there's a lot of robust community projects now. So we've come it's a true. long way from when makeover Monday was like the only sort of gateway drug in for a lot of people, um, yes. which to Andy, uh, Andy's credit all these years, you know, having uh, gotten that going and kept it uh, going all these years. So, enjoy his retirement for makeover Monday as he transitions into, I guess a independent trainer and LinkedIn influencer. It's, is he going independent? Is he I don't leaving know. the like, I, Yeah. I don't know. I, I, think, I, I feel no, like there's a I lot have of no evidence of that, no. but by all indications, if I had to make a guess, if I had to make it, if I had to make a guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm at the stay very out of least, he's gotten very good at marketing over there. So he has, to his credit, like he he writes every day on LinkedIn. But uh, some days, I don't know. LinkedIn has just become weird. LinkedIn, I you know, uh, all social media platforms have their own like weird cultures and quirkiness and different things. The mm -hmm. thing that never, like, I never jive with LinkedIn is I never. 
it never feels like we're talking to each other. It feels like mm -mm. everyone's just like in a room having a conversation with themselves. And occasionally someone says, yes, or great job. It's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Like yeah, I, it's, it doesn't work it's, for me. It's missing the social side, I think. Yeah. Like it's just media. It's people putting up billboards of crap they've done and hoping that somebody will like it and say, oh, yeah, good job. Like you said, like somebody, you know, patting you on the back. Very rarely do I see an actual authentic conversation 